I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you make your way to Colossians, book of Colossians, we continue preaching through this book. And you might think, why don't we take a break and preach something more relevant? Uh, the Word of God is relevant, and we are in the passage that speaks very close to us, that God cares and He provides for us and He loves us. If you are with me in Colossians chapter 1, we'll read a few verses. Our passage is from verse 10 to 14, but we start with 9. And we continue from last time. Paul is in prayer for Colossian church, for the believers that he never saw. Paul is in jail. He is in prison for numerous years, at least two years or so he spent there, and he had not opportunity to visit those people, in fact, many people, and so he's in isolation. He's exercising social distancing by design of Roman government. And yet he's not losing heart, and he prays for the believers. And he prays passionately, with confidence, like we saw last time. And he prays for believers that they would please God. Now, read with me. Paul says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Straighten it with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Father, we thank you. We pray that this word would impact our lives and bring praise to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The crucial role of knowledge. Paul is talking to the Colossians and praying, talking to God so that they would have a crucial knowledge about God. The knowledge of God that will produce, as we saw last time, many things in the life and they finally produce the pleasure of God. Now you understand the crucial role of knowledge right now. Many of you glued to your tablets, television, to seek what's happening in the world. Why are we doing so? We are glued to information about coronavirus. And just a few months ago, we have no clue that this virus exists. And now we are paying all attention and all the media bombarding us with information about this virus. Why? Because everyone know, want to know how to prevent or how to get healed. Researchers and scientists, they, they throw millions of dollars and timeless effort to figure out the cure. Now, we understand knowledge has power. 
knowledge would bring us to healing. But I want you to know that there is a greater knowledge, higher, far more important knowledge of God that would heal you, that would bring you into the healthy, growing relationship with God to eternal life of Jesus Christ. And this power found in a knowledge of God. Now, what does God want to do with us during this difficult time? He wants us to find him. That's what he wants. He wants us to find him. That we, during this time of isolation, where we're locked down, that we would be closer to him. He wants us to have this experiential knowledge that goes beyond expositional knowledge. Now, we need to go to our scriptures to find God. And without scripture, you can't find him. Without the spirit, you can't find him. But he wants you to, you to find him. Not just the words, but the spirit of God. I read a story about a couple, older couple, who were driving in their truck, celebrating 50 year of anniversary together. And he was driving behind the wheel, elderly, old, and she was glued to her door handle on the other side of the truck. And it happened that on that day, the other truck with the two lovebirds, two younger couples passed them by. And they noticed how she was glued to him, to the man of her life, and how it always and often happens with young lovers that they closely sit together. She observed this and she said to him, why don't we sit together anymore? And he was just chewing on this thought for a little bit and stewing it. And then he pronounced it. It ain't I that moved. He had a point. He was at the driving wheel. She moved. And it happens to us. It's not that God moves away. God is there. Scripture is there. Spiritual is there. But it's us that constantly seeking other knowledge. We're trying to reach some other philosophy, knowledge, or idols. We, crave, we are craving for knowing because God placed it in our heart. And for that, we crave and we create idols, which we think that might satisfy us, or we carve some, some cisterns of water that does not produce any knowledge and relationship. But knowledge, the point is knowledge always, a true knowledge of God always leads to relationship. These two people in this truck, they knew each other for 50 years, but somehow that knowledge led them to be on the other side. Now, from last time, we talk that God wants us to know him, and this knowledge is not just a intellectual knowledge. Knowledge of revelation of God is super important. Without revelation of God, you cannot know him. But if you stop at the expositional knowledge of God and you would not even miss God, then you would be no better than demons. They know God. They know theology. They spend time of learning about God, and yet they never personally know him. 
And that's why Paul says you need to have wisdom that actually this knowledge move you somewhere to apply the knowledge of God in relationship with him everywhere you go and you live according to his will. And later on we saw that a knowledge of God that revealed in scripture leads you to change life that after a while walking with God, you understand him and you say, now I get you, God. Your plan is good for me, for me. Your plan is good. I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Your plan for me is good and I have to align my plan to your plan. I have to walk worthy, meaning balance my plan with your plan because your plan is good for me. You are the loving God. So what are we after here? Paul is praying that we will have an experiential, real, personal knowledge with God, that we could walk with him, we could breathe with him, we could love him, we could sit with him, we could cry with him, we could die with him, and we could resurrect with him. You know, it's not just relative to Christianity that God wants us to have this power. Everyone, you can't go without any philosophy, any ideology that there will be no personal attachment. Growing up in Kamenus, Kamenus country, Soviet Union, uh, people were brainwashed by the ideology without God. But there was a person who unite people. Same thing going on in North Korea today. There is a person that people actually worship in because every knowledge leads to a person. So God wants us to have this knowledge, personal, experiential. Paul is praying for experiential, personal knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. He's not praying for academic theological knowledge or, the, or such knowledge produces puffed up individual, but he's praying for a humble, relational understanding, walk with God. And in this knowledge, God wants you to be filled. Together with Hosea 6, 3, we must say, so let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. So in our text, I believe that knowledge would produce two things. Number one, pleasure of God. The knowledge that brings Understanding of God brings pleasure in God. Isn't that what you and I want? And the second part in verses 12 to 14, we see that knowledge, experiential, personal knowledge of God produces praise, pleasure, and praise. Now, when you read your Bible, this is what happens. You will be filled with God so much that your life will bring pleasure to God. And then you will burst with praise for what he has done for you. We skipped last time briefly through verses 10 through 11, but we're going to spend just a brief time to point out that the pleasure of God is your aim, is your goal. You wanted to know God to please him in all respects. And so it happens, Paul says, when you're filled with the God, with the knowledge of God, verse 9, and you with knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, when you experience God, so that you would walk manner worthy of Lord, to what? To please him in all respect. 
inevitable transformation when you read your Bible and seek the person will happen to you. Everything in our lives, Paul says, must be aiming at the pleasure of God. The impact of the knowledge of God would be aiming at the pleasure of God. But number one, you'll see what happens to you. When you're aiming at the pleasure of God, there are four things that happen. Number one, you will increase in your fruitfulness. You will increase in your fruitfulness. Now, I want to mention two things briefly on on this point. Number one, there must be fruit in your life. And number two, the fruit must be good. So, every person who is plugged in in Jesus, every person, every branch that plugged in in Christ and soak in the knowledge of God from in him, that means that he will produce fruit. He will be fruitful. There is no fruitless believers. The life of Jesus that flows in the body will be evident in you. And you have to ask yourself a question. Is the life of Christ can be observed in me? Is the light of Christ can be observed in me easily? Jesus said, if you are the light, everyone will see it. If you are the the lamb, nobody put it under the bed. You can't hide it. If you are my witnesses, everyone will know it. And if you're my branch, everyone will see the fruit. But this fruit, Paul says, must be good. It's not just you involved in a bunch of activities. Not every good work could be called fruitful. I like uh, how Ernest Hemingway He's one of the philosophers. He said, never confuse movement with action. Sometimes we move a lot, but we don't produce anything good. Only when it produced by God in you through grace in you, that fruit could be called good. 1 Corinthians 3.13, Paul warns us. He says, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So Paul is saying everyone is, is doing some kind of doing deeds and ministry and building some kind of house. Everyone is a builder. The question, what kind of building you're building? The question of works always be cast, tested by the product. The fact that we're building, it's obvious. But what kind of building you're doing? The fact that you're talking a lot doesn't mean that you're doing good. The fact that you're ministering a lot does not necessarily mean that you're doing good work. The fact that you're taking care of your children does not mean that it actually produces fruit. What material are you using? What motivation is is moving you? Is Christ working in you? Is it produced by the knowledge of God? Well, if you're ministering, that's good. It's a great start. But is it fruitful? Is it good? So Paul says, the knowledge of God that aims at the pleasure of God will be fruitful. And that fruit would be good. The second thing he mentions, what it produces, it produces the increase in knowledge. Now we spent a lot of time talking about, and I briefly say that knowledge in this equivalence to relationship. You cannot know God if you don't have relationship with him. Knowledge is a growing relationship with God. 
And this is a truly marvelous thing, brothers and sisters, truly marvelous thing. You and I can experience walk with God on totally different level than any other creature. We could come to the throne of his grace when most of the angels are not allowed in his presence. We could talk face to face with God when angels are covering their faces from God. We can sit at his table when seraphims are relentlessly flying around God's glory. We are invited into the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit while angels are serving spirits to us. We experience God's presence inside of us, carrying him everywhere we go. Do you have this? Is this the thrill of your life? Do you have fellowship and life with your God? Do you experience this expositional knowledge that leads you to experience? Now, I just want to mention, when I talk about experiential knowledge, I'm not talking about feelings or some some emotional uplift. Now, emotions are there for sure. But it's not just a subjective kind of thing that we come together and we worship and we feel good. No, it's a real personal attachment to God. And if you do not know what I'm talking about, then pray to God that you will have this connection with him. For some people, personal relationship with Christ is just a phrase. No, he is real. He is real. Enoch was walking with God for a long time. And then he would walk with him in heaven. So the impact of this knowledge of God, personal relationship with God, will actually increase your desire to know him more. This is what we're going to do in heaven, constantly increasing in relationship with our God. Number three, Paul says, that you will be experiences the increase in your strength. Now, if anything you want during the sickness, it's the strength and the power. And we'll find that the strength and the power is rooted and sourced in God. It's a strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. God is the source of all power. You can't find power anywhere. There's no power in the flesh. And the power, Paul puts this word strength in it in the passive tense. So that to means that you have to be strengthened by someone. In this case, by God. It is not original power to deal with anything, with sickness or with sin. Power to battle sin, temptation, Satan, world. It's not originated with you. You have to be empowered. How do you do that? By clinging to Jesus. You know, God's power could be seen in the universe. Look at our son. Our son is just a moderate start in the universe. It's not the biggest start, one of the many. There's supposed to be a billion of stars and a billion of universes and galaxies. I don't know who counted, but I trust them that there's, there's a lot of stars. But look at our star. Our star takes... We, we take the heat and the light from our star. But our star consumes 100, 1,000 million tons of hydrogen every second. 1,000 million tons of hydrogen. I don't even know how much that is. That's a lot of hydrogen. Burn every second. Now, it takes its power 
from God. God empowers the sun. And not only our sun, but suns in the galaxies. God has power. The point is, when you look at this, that God knows every star by name, and he empowers them so that they could benefit us. So with that perspective, when you see that God is, how powerful God, well, he is all-powerful, and his power is glorious. It's always according to his glorious might. It's such such a powerful God such a glorious God. It is always in according of what do you know about God? It is absolutely true. It has colossal power. And if you know and serve that God and get to know this God, you know that Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who could be against us? You know, it's interesting, but we crave this power. We want the power. We want to walk in the power. And many people want to follow the examples of Elijah and Moses and, and Elisha so to create powerful things in their lives. But the text says that the purpose of this power is not necessarily to heal the sick. That is a glorious thing. But the power that originates with God who empowers us with his knowledge and his love and his purpose for us and his Holy Spirit is designed, check it out, for two things. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. (laughs) It's interesting. You need power to endure, right? We want to be like Elijah, but not so much like Job. Job wanted to be powerful in endurance to go through. This is what we need today. We need endurance, steadfastness, ability to endure impassable situation. When you think about yourself, can I go through that? Can I go through this sufferings, through this temptation? And you rely on God and say, well, no, I can't. The power is not in me, but I attach myself to Christ and I pray to him that he will empower me to go through this and not to give up on God. And you're going deeper into relationship with God. And Paul says you need patience. The power for patience, ability to be patient with the impossible people. Many of them around, sometimes you are impossible to handle. Colossians were under barrage of false teachings, human wisdom, heretical philosophy, and Paul said, well, stay strong in God. Attain to all steadfastness, according to his glorious might. Now, does God want us to be powerful? Absolutely, because he said he wants to strengthen us according to his might, glorious might and all power. Paul, when he's talking in this passage, he's kind of using this all-inclusive language, right? When he prays for the believers, he wants them to attain to the full knowledge of God that produces fullness of life. He said, I'm praying for all times for you. I want you to be filled with all wisdom and understanding. I want you to please him in all respect. I want you to be bearing fruit in every good work. I want to be strengthened with all power, attaining to all steadfastness. That thing could be produced by God alone. Now, Paul says, he said, I experienced this power. In chapter 1, verse 29, he says, for this purpose, 
I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And if he worked with Paul, he could work with us. The number four, the impact of knowing God is an increase in your thankfulness. And that kind of leads us to a second point of my sermon. The first point, the knowledge of God, is aimed at the pleasure of God. You could be assured if you know and get deeper in God and your faith in Christ. The one thing that will come out out of it, God will be pleased. It will be pleasing to him because you're not relying on yourself, not on your knowledge, not on your fruitfulness. You're relying on him in every respect. But the second thing that Paul says, this knowledge would inevitably produce praise. Produce praise. Praise. Paul, prayer turns into praise and thanksgiving. It is all appropriate to come to God with thanksgiving. The word here in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father, it's eucharisteo, meaning that comes from grace or carries grace. That God is filling you so much with grace that the outcome of this fulfillment, you are praising him. The point is that that those who have experienced the grace of God now have they been filled with grace so much that they have desire to be grateful to God. A heart that is filled with grace is full of thanks. There was a story in September 8 and 1860 in Northwestern University that that have a life-saving team that assisted passengers on Lake Michigan boats. So on September 8, 1860, one of the boats sunk. And the one ministerial student named Edward Spencer personally rescued 17 persons, 17 people. While rescuing them, he was exposed to the elements in that permanently damaged his health. He was not able to continue his ministry and preparation for the ministry, and a few years later, he died. Now, it was noted, noted in the article that no one out of those 17 people came and thanked him. Now, God wants us, if you're filled with the knowledge of what he has done for you, that it will be obvious that you are praising him and thank him at all time, that your reaction of this fulfilled life is that you will praise him. Praise him. We thank people who open the doors for us, who carry the bags for us, who do not sneeze at us, right? We thank them. But how much more this gratitude becomes a rich vein running through Colossians' book. He, he says in verse 1 of chapter, verse 3 of chapter 1, we give thanks Verse 12, give thanks. Chapter 3, 17, giving thanks through Christ to God the Father. Chapter 4, 2, devote yourself to prayer. Keep an alert in it with all attitude and thanksgiving. And do it joyously. Do it joyously. Now, as you do that, I want to mention four things here. Four things. The experiential knowledge of God produces praise. Number one, You will praise the Father because God is your Father. You will praise Him. Note that the 
that the hero of these verses is the Father. Look with me. It says, given thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance in the saints in light. For he, Father, rescued us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. Number one, when you pray to God, you're praying to the Father because he is the boss man. Everything comes from him. God is the one who has the kingdom and the son. He is the one who gives the kingdom and the son and the spirit to us. We call him God, our father. We also call him the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our father who cares for us. He is main in authority. And the text is emphasized that then you will pray to God, pray to him as your father, as your father. Now, why would you praise the father? Well, because of his work. Father works. Father gives. And for that, we praise him. The second thing, why should we be praising the father is that father has qualified us for the inheritance. If someone, if somehow we would qualify ourselves for any inheritance, that would be praise to us, right? We did it. We, we achieved it. But, but Paul says, no, no, no. Uh, you have been qualified. You have actually done nothing. The word qualified means that to make sufficient or to be, or to, to make fit, to be fit with something. Paul uses this word when speaking about himself, that he's unfit or unqualified to be an apostle. First Corinthians 15, 9, he says, I'm not fit to be called an apostle. I'm not adequate to fill this duty as an apostle. He knew that his, his inadequacy in, in his flesh, and he knew that all his adequacy is from God alone. You see, Paul did not fall into the popular beliefs like believe in yourself. This is garbage theology. Believe in yourself. There's nothing in you to believe in. In the first place, everything that you receive is from God. Believe in God and only he could qualify you. Now, the problem with us that we not only, you know, we can't qualify ourselves, but we are disqualified. We are disqualified. Every one of us disqualified from the presence of God. Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. You see, whether you attach the problem of Adam to yourself or not, it spread to you and you are responsible for it. You are a sinner and you're disqualified. Trying to please God on your own, it's an operation. Some pastor said, fig live like a leaf operation. It's trying to present ourselves with to God in our fig leaves when we're completely naked. We're disqualified. We can't even show up at God's place. Luther understand, understood that. He's uh, describing his experience in his dream when Satan visited him and brought him a record of his own life written with Luther's own hand. The tempter said to him, is that true? Did you write it? The poor terrified Luther had to confess it was all true. Scroll after scroll was unrolled and same confession was writing uh, wrong from him again and again. 
at length the evil one prepared to take his departure. Heaven brought Luther down to the lowest depth of misery. Suddenly, the reformer turned to the tempter and said, It is true, every word of it, but right across it all, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. Now, there's no doubt that we're disqualified, but praise be to God who qualified us, qualified us by his own power, by the blood of Christ to be participant in an inheritance of light. And qualified us. Paul says, not only Gentiles, but also Jews. But what is this Paul talking about? What is Father qualified us for? It's obviously from the text that he has qualified us for some really great stuff. To share an inheritance of the saints in light. Now, when you think about this inheritance, uh, you are never earn the inheritance. You can't wash the dishes to earn the inheritance. You can't mow the lawn to earn the inheritance. If you have the inheritance, it's only because it's your birthright. So God the Father has qualified you to participate in the inheritance, but giving you birth into his family. And now you're righteous heir with Christ. But when we think about the inheritance itself, we imagine the heavens with the golden streets and so on and pearl-like uh, gates. And, and But when Paul addresses this inheritance, he, he said, the inheritance of the saint in light. And there's a few ways how we could take this, whether it's a sphere of light or which is the light. I take it that our inheritance is the light. We know that God is light, that God alone possesses immortality and dwells in approachable light, and he himself, the glory. Revelation 21, 23 says, for the glory of God has illumined it, and it lamb is the lamb, and the nation shall walk in its light. But notice, for some reason, in NASB, they put light in the capital letter. Now, that's not the proven itself. But I believe that God's, the greatest inheritance that he gives to his children, it's God himself. He brings you in, and he said, I'm giving you myself. I'm giving you my glory. I'm giving you my son. The third thing that we could praise God for here is not only we thank him that he's our father, but also that he has qualified us to inherit him, but he has rescued us from the domain of darkness. Now, Paul is speaking only about two possible domains here, domain of darkness and domain of light. The dominant force of darkness is Satan. The dominant force of light is God. Every poor person is born into this dark world as a sinner who is under the dominion of darkness. This is a spiritual darkness, unawareness, unintelligence about God, lack of knowledge and experience with God. And in your natural state, all of us, we love the darkness and hate the light. The light is irritating for the sinner's eyes, like a flashlight in the eyes of just the one, just person who just woke up. 
Bible said that they walk in darkness. You were walking in the darkness and in the deeds of darkness, and we loved it. In this domain of darkness from which God rescued us, devil was ruling. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual wickedness in this heavenly places. You have to understand that we were in a hostage situation. Max was reading from Ephesians that we were dead in our trespasses, but we were, we were in a hostage situation. This could be compared to a modern pirates that are taking hostages for ransom. And when they do the, so, they often keep them in the dark, darkness in a chain to break their will. The interesting part of this is that we love this darkness and we love this abuse of Satan. Even in our, psycholog- in, even in our world, they, they have the psychological condition called Stockholm Syndrome. When a person who was taken in a hostage develops some attraction and affection towards the one who took hostage of him. The name of the syndrome is derived from a, uh, from a bank robbery in Stockholm in August 1973, where four employees were held hostages in a bank vault for six days. And during the standoff, a similarly encourages bond developed between captive and captors. That's the bond. We were in the domain of darkness, and God, with his power, rescued us. God the Father, he rescued us. He delivered us. That was a rescue mission. And therefore, when we think about this, together with Jonah, we could say, salvation belongs to God. Psalm 121, psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the mountains from where shall my help come? The rescue mission is guaranteed by God because he said, I have rescued us. And the last thing he said, Father, not only has qualified us, disqualified people, not only that he rescued us, he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, this rescue mission is never complete unless there is a safe place to to bring us in. Picture an emperor uprooting his enemies and taking them to his own kingdom. But not only that he's rescuing them and liberating his people, but also he's relocating them to his own domain. Like in time of Moses, the Israel was relocated from the oppressive Egypt towards the promised land to the safe place. When you read this, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. There's a safe place, the kingdom of his beloved son. Alan Gard gives this illustration about early uh, settlers in, in America when they were buying properties or taking properties, they were concerned about the snakes, because snakes were everywhere. And, uh, but there's, a, there's in the nature, there's an invisible yet very real definite line about which you will never find a snake. I'm not sure if it's true, but that's what I read in a story that the settlers in America refer to this line as the snake line. 
often when they were purchasing property, they would ask the seller, is this above the snake line? Because snakes are lurking in the fertile and wet lands. And if you go uphill, you would find no snakes. They knew that the land of mountains were very more rocky, harder, and uh, harder, harder to clear, and yet it's safe. And many settlers choose to bring their families to the safe place. And when we think about this, I compare this to God the Father brings us from this domain of darkness when we infiltrated with sin and death into the domain of his son. Now, one interesting quality of this kingdom is that it's the kingdom of his beloved son. When you want for your children to do something good or bring them to some safe place, you choose the safest place. God chose the safest place for us, bring us into relationship with his son. And I could call this kingdom the kingdom of love. Because in this text, he says that to the kingdom of his beloved son, or as some translated, that he has transferred us into the kingdom of his son of love. The beloved son, the God who, the son who is experiencing the most love from the father, for eternity past, he is the unique one because he is the most loved. You could ask, who is the king in this kingdom? And it's Jesus. What kind of king is Jesus? He's the beloved one. He's the one who rules with love. This is the kingdom when mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the kingdom when the royal law is in place. When he brings his people to his kingdom and he lavishes on them his love. We read a little book by Randall Goodgame and Kathleen Echeverry, a children's book with my little one called Jesus and the Very Big Surprise. And the story is based on, on the story of written Luke, that the servant were waiting for the master to come. And it portrayed Jesus, who is the master of his, in his kingdom, that not just expects us to serve, but also who serves us. He's the master who serves his people. And the book called Jesus and the Very Big Surprise because... As every master expects to be served, this master comes in and serves. This master comes in and born as a child. This master lives as a perfect man for us. This master dies for our sins. This master goes back to heaven to plead for us. This master's kingdom is love. Now, have we truly been transported already to another kingdom? As far as I see you here and you see me also. Is this a real kingdom or this is just a kind of an imaginary thing? Well, the point is this, that a kingdom, although has not fully expressed itself there, 
But you and I are citizens of that kingdom. We are under ruler of another master, and that is reality. We are not under dominion of darkness. We are not under dominion of sin. We are not under dominion of Satan's. We're not slaves to this world. We're slaves to Jesus, who serves us with love. The whole passage shifts from the Father to the domain and kingship of Jesus. Do you know him this way? As your master who loves you? Do you crave to serve him? Now, how is it possible that we be privileged so much from the Father to be transferred from this evil place into the safe place where love reigns? It's possible because Christ did it. Now, as I said, it shifts slowly to the epic and to the, to the peak of the mountain of the book, which is emphasizing Christ's supremacy over all. And it's in him found all the fullness of God, and God wants you to know him. It's in him all the redemption, and it's in him all the forgiveness of sin. You're not guilty no more because he forgives your sins. It's in him there's no guilt, no condemnation for sins. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. It set us free of guilt, which was suppressing us because we have sinned. He has removed the sin and the guilt with it, and we are no more guilty before him. In Acts 26, 17, and 18, Paul, when he explained his, his transformation and his new birth when he met Jesus, he said that he was rescued for rescuing others. It says, God says, I'm rescuing you from the Jews and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. We praise God. We praise God, of course, for qualification. We praise God that he brought us to a safe place, but we praise God for Jesus. He is the greatest treasure that you have find. You see, the impact of this knowledge of God, of knowledge of his son, it's, it's an immense. And if you don't feel, if you don't experience any changes after reading this and soaking in and saying, how in the world that you, my father, did so much for me that you gave yourself as an inheritance, that you brought me to the ruler who loves me. If that doesn't rock your boat, I don't know what. If that doesn't save you from the anxiety, nothing will. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. The fullness of this experiential knowledge 
It's never at the expense of finding him somewhere else but in Scripture. But it always, this knowledge produces pleasure in God's heart and also praise from you. Such knowledge praises God. Father, we thank you for the time together. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for rescuing us and bringing us into a safe place. And although we do not see you, we trust you, and we connect to you by faith. We know what you said and your word is true, and we know that you have power to accomplish this which you promised, that one day we will see our Savior and that we will love him forever. We pray in Christ's name, amen. I just want to mention that at uh, the end that you use this time to spend time with your family, bringing them to Christ. If you need any help, just let us know. As a church, we want to be useful and helping financial need or emotional or prayer needs. Please let us know. We will spread this news uh, among our people because we are united in Christ and we stand together in Christ's name.